0: you are listening to the invitation church podcast to learn more about invitation church visit us online at invitation605.com you can also download our app on itunes and google play by searching for invitation605
1: good morning invitation how's it going guys? good awesome my name is jaden brockle Um, i'm going to be reading some scripture from john 13 18 through 30. Says this I am not referring to all of you, I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfil the scripture. He, he who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am not telling you now before it happens, or I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to the, this disciple and asked, and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as G- Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you, what you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one, at, no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night.
2: Awesome, thanks, Jaden. So I don't know if anybody's had a moment in life, an opportunity to do something that's called a trust fall. So a trust fall is when you are off the ground in some kind of a way, and then what you do is you invite some people to come catch you. So uh, I wonder if the Seif brothers could just come um, over here just real quick and we can welcome them. I'm also gonna need I need a couple others. Jaden, that would be helpful. Somebody else um, that I need. Yeah, yeah, no, it's okay. Just. Just, they need some courage. Welcome them, everybody. So if you you could just stand. Yeah, I need like one person sort of like right here. Yeah, no, you're fine, you're fine. Yep, and then if you could come like right here. Um, and then, hey, Bruce, could you just come here? Yeah, he's on the board, so. If you could just sort of stand right here. I'm in there, face, face this way, yeah. So you need to you get your hands out of your pockets, yeah, there, good. Youth group so you've maybe been in this moment, right, where what you would do is you would just kind of like turn around and then you would, you guys are nervous, it's fine, don't Don't worry, you're all right. Do not let your hearts be troubled, all right? Um, and so that's typically like how it would work, right, is that you're relying on these people in a moment when you need them to show up. Like, this is a bad moment to get a phone call, to pull your phone out, to be distracted, to not be in the moment because I need these people. So, what happens when one of them, you can go sit down, when one of them just like walks away, the rest of you stay here. Like, what happens? Like the whole conversation, the whole situation changes because there, there were like a whole crew, a group here that were ready for the moment that I needed them to support me and to be in it with me in and then one person just decided that they were out, that they couldn't take it and they just walked away. You guys can sit down. Thank you very much. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. This is the moment that Jesus is in jesus has spent years now you're all relaxed you were i was watching some of you like should i pull out my phone for the insurance company or what should i do Uh, i just think it's easy to come to the bible and sort of read it like it's a fairy tale and i think it's really helpful for us to smell the aroma of that room the the fear and the uncertainty and the doubt that was all going on in, in that moment. And I think it's important for us to remember uh, today that most of life is how we deal with disappointment. Like how we deal with small moments of disappointment. Like a couple of weeks ago, I left church. It was like 1215. I was driving down 41st Street, and I see this one lonely car in the drive through at Chick-fil-A. And I just wanted to go, oh, you don't know. They're not open on Sunday. And I just don't know how long you're going to be there. <laughs> like, are you texting? Are you checking the weather? I'm not sure. just waiting for that angelic voice. Welcome to Chick-fil-A, what can I get for you? That voice not coming. Small moment of disappointment. But then we can also talk about moments of disappointment that like take our breath away. Like when we step into moments that like we never thought that we would be in. And most of life is how we deal with these moments. Like what happens to us like in these kinds of moments. And Jesus is in a moment when one of the people who has been walking with him, one of the people who has been sharing meals with him, like one of the people that he has invested his life in is going to walk away, is going to decide, I don't really want to be in it anymore. I'm going to step outside of this inner circle, and I'm stepping outside of the upper room, and I'm stepping outside of this group, and today in church, I don't need to explain betrayal. I don't need to, like, put it up on a whiteboard because we've stood in moments when we've needed somebody, and they chose in words or in action that they didn't want to be in it anymore. We've had a friend in their words tell us that. We've had a friend in their actions show us that. And so, Dave doesn't need to illustrate betrayal today. But I need for us to do the best that we can to place ourselves in that upper room so that we would understand a little bit the the moment that Jesus is in. Um, There's, Stephanie, you put a picture up. There's a picture that I really love of Jesus that this artist has done, and it really captures this moment. John, who's writing this narrative, talks about Jesus being troubled. And in the original language, it means like to be stirred up. You have been stirred up before by anything. And so it's sort of the opposite of six o'clock in the morning at Lake Okaboji when it's just glass. That's like the opposite of that. It's more like Lake Okoboji, 4th of July weekend at like 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And there's jet skis and there's boats and there's crazy people all over the place. That water gets stirred up. And this is what is going on inside of Jesus. And do you know what I think is amazing about the detail that John lets us know? How would you know that Jesus was deeply troubled? He knows because he can see on the face of Jesus that he's deeply troubled. Because Jesus doesn't say to the disciples, I am deeply troubled. We just know that he was. And there's a little mini sermon even in verse 21 today about not pushing down what we feel. About not burying what we feel but allowing the people around us to see what we feel. Um, There's this professor at this seminary in Boston, it's called Gordon Conwell, and he says something amazing about this. He says that just because an emotion is buried does not mean the emotion is dead. So emotions often get buried alive, but just because you bury it doesn't mean it's dead and i just love that the savior of the universe i just love that jesus doesn't do that i love that he doesn't bury his troubled spirit in the presence of his disciples but he allows the disciples to see his troubled spirit i just find that unbelievably powerful so You know, Jesus knows who the betrayer is, and we know who the betrayer is. Like Mark chapter 3 tells us, Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12, here's the list. He appointed Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them, he gave the name Borgenes, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So Jesus knows who the betrayer is, and we know who the betrayer is, but the disciples do not know who the betrayer is. They're in the dark. They're clueless about what is about to go down, what is about to unfold. And yes, Jesus has spent three years teaching And healing and what has happened over these last several years as the years go on the crowds get bigger like more and more people want to come and hear Jesus they kind of want to see what he's all about and the crowds get bigger because people hear about him and so you know there's a there's a moment and and you know, Grandma finds herself at a place where Jesus is, and she witnesses, like, the feeding of the 5,000. So she's going to tell everybody who will listen to her, like, you got to see Jesus. Like, he's amazing. And so the crowds grow. And then somebody's uncle is at this wedding sometime, and Jesus shows up to the wedding. And he takes the water, and he turns it into wine. And so this uncle is telling everybody, you got to see Jesus. You got to know him. You got to hear him. Just do it. And so the crowds grow. So during the years of Jesus' ministry, like the crowds get bigger and they get bigger and they get bigger and they get bigger. And what happens to the disciples? The disciples grow. Like those boys that Jesus called to drop their nets and to follow him. That boy who was sitting at the tax collector's booth, Levi, who's working for Rome. Something happens to him. These disciples grow. like There's a growing up that happens in their life as they keep company with Jesus. So the crowds grow. They get bigger. The disciples grow. But something happens to the religious leaders. Like the Sadducees and the Pharisees, these like two groups of Jewish leaders, like people who knew the Torah, people who were waiting for this Savior, for this Messiah to come back. Like there had been one exodus out of Egypt. They got away from Pharaoh and out from underneath his oppressive hand and voice and way, and they're waiting for a new exodus like a new moment when their Messiah would come, their Mashiach, the one that they were waiting for. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're just like keeping time, they're waiting for him to show up. And he does show up, but they miss him. But they don't like the teaching of Jesus. Like they don't like the fact that he calls himself God. They don't like that the crowds are very much interested in what this Jesus person has to say. And they grow angrier and angrier and angrier. And Luke tells us that they become so angry that what they really want to do is get rid of him. So Luke chapter 22, we're just going to change the channel just for a second. I'll change it right back, I promise. Luke chapter 22 Verse two, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus for they were afraid of the people. So they wanted to get rid of him. They were done with him. They didn't want any more healings, no more miracles, no more teaching. They're tired of him. They wanna get him off of the scene. But doing so is sort of tricky. So they can't get rid of him during the day. Well, why? Why can't they get rid of him? They can't get rid of him during the day because it would cause a riot. Because the crowds would have something to say about that. Like, what do you mean you're going to arrest him? What do you mean you're going to get rid of him? Like, he raised this person to life. Like, he made this person see. He made this person walk. I was there. I was in the moment. I had some of the wine what do you mean you're getting rid of him so the crowds would riot so they couldn't arrest him during the day and they couldn't arrest him at night why well because he just slept at random places the gospel writers talk about jesus as someone the son of man did not have a place to lay his head So he's going house to house. Like, oh, you have an open room. Sweet. You have an open room. And some of us sort of like this about Jesus. He sort of like flies by the seat of his pants. And we're like, yeah, that's my guy. And some of you are like, no, I'm planning the calendar for 2025. I don't like that about Jesus. But the leaders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, they can't find him because he's, house to house so they want to arrest him so they can destroy him but to arrest him and to destroy him you gotta find him and so i think what happens i think the chief priests and the teachers of the law i think they start working the 12. i think they start talking to thomas and they want to gauge like how in is thomas like, who would he be willing to, like, work with us to destroy Jesus? I think they start talking to Thaddeus and Bartholomew and James and, and John. And I think they kind of corner Levi. Say, hey, like, you've worked for Rome in the past collecting tax. Like, would you work with us to destroy? How in are you? And I think they start working Judas. Uh, Luke 22. We haven't changed the channel yet, just so you know. Uh, Luke 22 Verse 4, and Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and they agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. So from that moment on, Judas is, he's looking for an opportunity. It's like when you're driving in a big city and there's lots of lanes. I'm not talking about 41st Street. I'm talking about like the Pacific Coast Highway when there's lots of lanes. And what are you doing? You're looking for an opportunity for you to get over because the person who's in the passenger seat is telling you to get over. So you're trying to get over. You're looking for an opportunity to do that. This is what's happening in Judas's heart. Like he's looking for an opportunity where he might hand Jesus over to the religious leaders so that the religious leaders might destroy Jesus. This is what's happening in this narrative. And then now we're changing the channel uh, to the book of John where we were and they're celebrating the Passover, like they're having a, a meal together. And last week we talked about the foot washing moment that they were all in together. And, and they're all enjoying this meal, remembering Egypt, remembering freedom, remembering being called out of slavery. And, and what we talked about, it's not just like they're all sitting together at some big living room, dining room table, but they're, they're sort of like laying and they're eating. And the text tells us who's sitting by Jesus. The Text tells us that his inner circle, the people he trusted most would have sat closest to Jesus. In verse 24, in a really serious, in a really sad story, we have a moment that I think is actually pretty funny. Jesus says, hey, one of you is going to betray me. And so then Peter, (laughs) Peter wants to know who it is. So then Peter asks John, who's sitting right next to Jesus, hey, ask him who it is. Like this is the moment when the younger sibling, right, is sent by the older sibling to go ask mom and dad for something because they think the younger sibling's cuter. And so maybe the opportunity that mom and dad would say yes more likely to say yes to the cuter one than to me, because I'm sort of like old now, I'm out of the cute zone. This is that moment. Peter's like, hey, ask him. Ask him who he means. Ask him who he's talking about. And so then John, I just imagine him being like, turns to Jesus, and he says, hey, who is it? Like, who's, who's the betrayer? Who's the one that's going to give you up? And then Jesus gets really weird. You ever notice how Jesus doesn't really answer questions directly? Most of the time, he answers a question with a question. And he does this really cryptic thing. He says, hey, it's the one who I hand the bread to and they dip it in the dish, that's the one who's gonna betray me. And it's sort of like, you could just say the name. And so that happens. And in the ancient world, this is a symbol, this is a picture of intimacy, of closeness, of partnership, that you would kind of eat out of the same dish. We see this, where else do we see this? In the Old Testament, we see this in the book of Ruth and Ruth and Boaz. And Boaz invites Ruth to share bread with him and to dip this bread in wine. So there's this like closeness. This would be, I don't know, like sharing an ice cream cone. Maybe we could say that. I love all of you. I'm not sharing an ice cream cone with all of you. There's a couple of you that I would. They share my last name, Okay, Not like picking any favorites. But it's a picture of closeness. And you're the same way. Don't look at me so judgy. You're the same way. You're not sharing one with me. But this is a picture of closeness of relationship. But this is the one who's gonna betray Jesus. Who's gonna walk out of the inner circle. And then verse 27, something super interesting. John says that Satan entered Judas. So what are we talking about? Are we talking about some kind of like demonic possession? You know it like enters Judas and then like Judas has like a red tail and a pitchfork? I don't think so. I think we're talking about like the way of the evil one becoming the way of Judas. I think we're talking about like the words that the evil one has spoken over him like him walking in light of those words. I think we're talking about like a turning away like from the kingdom of God, and we're talking about turning toward the kingdom of the world as the scriptures talk about it. And it's interesting, it's not really dramatic. I think it happens over time. I think it happens moment by moment, choice by choice, decision by decision. I think it happens slowly. I think becoming happens slowly. I don't think it happens in a transaction. It's not swiping a card, but it's taking a step. And so moment after moment, Judas has stepped further and further and further and further away. It's sort of like when you're swimming somewhere in open water, and it feels like, wow, like how did I drift so far out here? I was just like right by the person that I was swimming with, and now it feels like I'm 17 miles from them. I think this is what happens with Judas. I think moment by moment, day by day, he drifts. And so the, the entering that John talks about, I think is more about the, the way of the evil one and the desire that the evil one would shape and transform the way that Judas sees himself in the world and the work of God in the world. And then Jesus does turn to Judas and he just says, do what you are about to do. And then verse 28, the disciples are confused because they think that Jesus is talking to him about spending money. Like they think that there's some plan for Judas to go and give some money to somebody or to get some stuff ready for the meal and and it's always been interesting to me that, like, why is Judas the one who's in charge of the money? Like, Matthew is the money guy. Like, he, right? I mean, he was like the tax collector. Why isn't he in charge of the money? Why is it Judas? And I think it's Judas because I think there was a deep level of trust that was there. And I think it what makes the betrayal so intense and so dark and so painful is that it's not that somebody walks away from Jesus. like He's experienced that a ton in his ministry. I think that it's somebody in the inner circle, someone who's close. And then John ends this in a super dramatic way. Just four words at the end of verse 30. And it was night. And if you read the book of John, one of the things you'll notice is you'll see a ton of conversation around light and darkness. You know, Jesus talking about the, the light of the world and the power of darkness. And this is another place where John wants us to know that Judas stepped out into the darkness. And, you know, I think it's it's been really interesting how we understand this story, how we understand, you know, this is a really dark moment in the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John's really an incredible book of hope. Like we see tons of people being healed and tons of miracles that, that point to what God's going to do ultimately, but this is a really sad moment in the Gospel of John because they're sharing this meal and then there's like an empty seat. And we all know what that moment's like. like share a meal and there's an empty seat we've sat in that moment that someone has passed away and we're remembering someone who used to sit here who's no longer seated here and he steps out into the darkness and it's jesus and the 11 and and i think a common interpretation we've had to band up as we close today i think a common interpretation something that happens sometimes in church Like you read this story, you read this narrative, and the interpretation, the message you're supposed to walk away with is, you are Judas. Think about all of the times when you have been Judas. Think about all of the times that you have chosen to not keep company with Jesus, to to not to really desire to be in. And can I just tell you, I guess the other interpretation is like, watch out for people because they might be Judas. Maybe that's the other side of that. But can I just tell you, I don't think that's what John is doing at all. I think John is wanting to lift up who Jesus is. Why does he want to do that? Because he does it earlier in the book. Chapter 1, verse 29, behold the Lamb of God, who what? Who takes away the sins of the world. And so I think John is saying, not look everybody, you're Judas. But I think John wants to go, look at Jesus. Like, look how he deals with betrayal. Like, look what he does. Look how he responds. Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far have our sins been removed. Look at Jesus. Instead of this kind of embracing this like, well, yeah, I am Judas, I have done that. Look at Jesus. Like, Get our eyes on Jesus, the book of Hebrews wants to say, the author and perfecter of our faith. And for the joy set before him, endured the suffering, endured the cross, scorning its shame, he says. And who is seated at the right hand of God. Look at Jesus. And can I just tell you today, I think how this happened in the life of Judas is that he stopped looking at Jesus. And so what's God calling us to do in this moment? If you haven't gotten by now, I think he's calling us to look at Jesus, like to see him, to to, to see the, the beauty of who he is and the beauty of what he wants to do in the world. And then, yeah, there's always going to be people who are going to be working you. Wanting to find out, like, how are you really committed? Do you really want to uh, Like, I think that's going to happen. And we got, we got to fight that. We got to push against that. But using guilt's not going to help push against that. Using the shame of you are Judas isn't going to help with that. What's going to help with that? Getting our eyes up on him. Because he's the one who's made this life possible. It's his power living in us. And so church, let's be a church that has our eyes on him. Not that wants to rewind and replay the tapes of seventh grade at the lunch table when somebody asked you if you believe in Jesus. And you said, I don't know. I'm just trying to drink my chocolate milk. And that is something that the evil one has used in your life to say you are Judas. You did that, and you walked away, and you didn't stand up. Would you look at Jesus? Because that night is not the last night that Jesus has a relationship with the rest of the disciples. So even betrayal that Jesus experiences doesn't stop Jesus from showing up and saving. To church. Maybe you've read this for a long time in your life. And what it brings up is all the memories of the moments when you've been called away. And can I just tell you, guilt's not going to save you, shame's not going to save you. But Jesus promises to do all those things and he's going to prove it. because He's going to go to the cross. He's going to be raised to life. And I think it's a way just for Jesus to say in a simple way as he can, just because you live in darkness, it was night, just because you live in darkness, doesn't mean that the darkness has to live in you. Come and live in the light of my love and of my glory, and of my forgiveness and of my goodness. Look at Jesus. pray together lord god we thank you today
0: thank you so much for joining us on the invitation church podcast i want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it every promise from god every declaration of his great love for you every word of hope every reminder that you have been made for more allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.